This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Citizen Tacoma, my heart beats true blue. Citizen Tacoma, I'll always vote for you. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jenny. Today on the podcast, we interviewed Irwin Allen. Not Irwin Allen. The producer of the Poseidon Adventure, an earthquake. This joke will make more sense if you make it to the end of the podcast. Actually, we interviewed Eric Holdeman, who's running for position one on the Port Commission. I liked uh, I liked a lot of what he said, especially about transparency in the port. I did, too. And he's got a lot of energy and a lot of good things to say. And he's also an expert on one of my favorite uh, topics, which is disaster prep. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma. Hi, and thanks for having me. We are so happy to have you here. Uh, You are running for Port Commission, position one. And the way we wanted to start all of these interviews is to talk about your Tacoma story. How long have you been here? Where do you live? Tell us about that. Well, it's a Puyallup story, Pierce County story. (laughs) Right. Because uh, this is a county position. That's That's right. right. And um, I got here uh, 29 years ago via the military, like many Mm. others, um, finishing my 20 year career as an infantry officer at Fort Lewis. And then we had kids going into high school. It's a great place. to live, and so which I, high school? Uh, it was Rogers High School. Mm, uh, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Are you a Puyallup High School? <laughs> yes. Well, my grandson now attends Puyallup High School. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll give you a pass. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I actually was the president of the church across the street. Immediately right. across, no yeah. one knew the name of it, so we put up a sign: the mm-hmm. church across the street. So. <laughs> Do you remember when they were doing the remodeling? Actually, I was very involved uh, with that. If you remember, the Main Street closed. And I would use that as an example. Um, You know, the school district, I mean, we digress a little bit, but the school district um, uh, was doing this remodel. And Mm -hmm. one of the things they proposed was closing Main Street, Mm -hmm. on which Emanuel Lutheran Church sits on 7th and Main. And the address is Main Street. And I was the president of the congregation, participated in that redesign piece, and um, they wanted to close because of safety. And we, you know, I, I went with the church board, and I said, hey, we need to do this for safety purposes because kids did not yeah. pay any attention to any traffic or cars or yeah. anything. I was in the choir, and we rehearsed in your space. Okay. And so the, um, the, uh, the school district was surprised that we were willing to Close the street that had yeah. our address on, but safety first. Yeah. And uh, I, I take that commitment also into the port commissioner, and it's one of my uh, key pieces. So, yeah. uh, so we've been in uh, Puyallup for 29 years. Lived in the same house, and um, kids are grown hmm. uh, with families of their own. And my wife and I are happy to be there. Excellent. Sorry about that, Rogers. Yeah, Rogers rammed. (laughs) Um, 
Can you tell us a bit about what you currently do and how that prepares you for Port Commission? Well, when I uh, exited the uh, military, I looked at different professions, and the one that actually connected was being an emergency manager. So uh, I initially worked for Washington State Emergency Management for five years, (laughs) and uh, that was me. Telling okay. me I've got this uh, <laughs> podcast event here. to be on. That's right. <laughs> and um, uh, then I, I became the King County Office of Emergency Management Director for 11 years, uh, where I worked on all things regional. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone has to think outside the jurisdictional boundaries of cities and right. and uh, that. And then King County is a very complicated place. There's 39 cities. Actually, there's another 126 governments in King County, water mm. district, sewer district, school district, state, stadium district, cemetery wow. district, hospital district, all of those things. There's 500 separately elected officials in King County, and they all get along, which is not necessarily true. Mm. But that really got me into trying to, and this is what I, 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 I say I do, try and get people and organizations uh, to work together. So mm. I did a couple of years consulting after uh, King County. I wanted to try that. And then I was at the Port of Tacoma for four years as the director of security, and now I've been at the Pacific Northwest Economic Region uh, leading the Center for Regional Disaster Resilience, and that's five states, five Canadian territories where we try and promote, again, people and organizations working together for a multitude of hazards uh, perspective, and that's I still do that today. I'm not retired. Hmm. So... As a port employee, you must have had interactions with the commission. I did, yes. And what kind of things did you see that worked well, and what did would you do differently if elected? Well, uh, several of the campaign platforms I have um, came out of being at the port, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is that transparency. Right. Um, you know, it can be a stated value, but sometimes there are aspirational values that are not lived out in the culture of the organization. And I think we've seen that at the Port of Tacoma. Uh, the methanol plant was a great indicator of that. I'm sure they had public uh, hearings and meetings. A few people showed up and they said, we're done. And mm-hmm. they didn't really engage with the public. Now, you know, certainly everyone is very aware of what's going on at the port and hypersensitive to it. And if they'd been transparent in the first place, I think they would not have created the mistrust that exists uh, today. And we'll talk about LNG, you know, coming forward there. Uh, The other thing when I was there was when the NYK uh, shipping line project, um, they were developing uh, a large terminal and they'd bought up property, actually put business out of businesses, out of business and employees on the street by buying up property to do this. But um, they didn't figure out they could not do it for the budget they had. The utilities was too much, uh, cost too much, and the environmental cleanup. So before they pulled the plug, they had dug the port and the taxpayers of Pierce County into a $700 million hole. That's almost uh, three-quarters of a billion dollars. That wow. The port has been paying off slowly. Uh, over the intervening years, but it's impacted their borrowing capacity, bonding capacity, because of that debt. They're better positioned today than they were back in uh, 2007. But the decision-making that goes into it, when when I was at the port, what motivated me, I said, you know, people had said, Eric, hey, you should 
uh, run for elected office because I was very active in working with different politicians in King County. And I said, well, when dog catcher becomes elected position, I'll, I'll <laughs> run. And so when I was at the port, I saw a great need for new leadership, new ideas, different approaches. And I said, okay, when I'm not there anymore, I will run. And I did run four years ago mm-hmm. for the position. I was not successful, but um, there's an open position this time. And that's why I chose to run uh, one more time. Hmm. Can you tell, one of the things we're trying to um, do on this episode is just kind of um, educate people about the port. As you say, um, nobody was paying attention to the port up until about a year ago, and I don't think people have any idea really what the job entails. Can you talk a little bit about the duties of the Port Commission? Well, specifically the duties of the Port Commission, it sounds pretty simple, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's to set the strategy for the port. Where are we going in the future? What kind of port are we going to be? What types of businesses are we trying to attract? How are we sustaining the economic development, which is a purpose of uh, ports and why they were created? And Port Tacoma is 99 years old this this year. They'll celebrate the 100th uh, anniversary next year. So I've been Mm -hmm. around a while to do that. But that's the primary duty. And then the, the next duty is hire the chief executive officer supervise the execution of those uh, strategies that they've developed to make sure it's it's being done appropriately. Mm. I, I would add into that, though, that port commissioners and the Port of Tacoma staff itself is somewhere around 250 people. Maybe it's 275 now. Uh, I don't know the exact headcount. It's not a huge number. So longshoremen don't work for the Port of Tacoma itself right. as a, a, a government. But is getting out in the community and making those connections. Uh, Certainly small cities like Fife, Edgewood, Milton, and certainly uh, Tacoma itself are impacted significantly by the things that go on at the port, traffic being a great example uh, Mm -hmm. of that. And, you know, I talked to several um, city of Tacoma council members when I was getting ready to run or shortly after, and I said, well, what's your relationship? How much you guys interact? And they, to a person, said, well, we don't have that much interaction. I think that's a huge falling down of it. So it's not just setting the strategy, hiring the CEO. There's a lot more that can be done to uh, move the noodle down the the road and uh, have Hmm. better relationships in the broader community. How would we go about, um, do you have some strategies for greater transparency? Well, it's a pretty what I, what I talk about. Every communication from the port should not sound like a, the Christmas letter, <laughs> where everything is super, everything's fine. Uh, I would dare you to look for port communications where they talk about, "Oops, we made a mistake." Everything's mm-hmm. always coming up sunshine and roses. There, we ha- we have to be genuine and real. That's that's the number one uh, mm-hmm. piece. So that uh, when you say something, people believe you and trust you. And, um, sometimes people ask me, what's your number one goal for the port? And I know this is maybe pie in the sky, but I'd like to restore trust in government. And mm. I can't wave a magic wand, but I can do what I do personally to try and make that happen. I'll, I'll make my difference on yeah. that mission to uh, under-promise, over-deliver. Yeah. Um, all those types of things and really be looking to the future also. Mm. 
Unfortunately, you have a lot of people working against you on that one. (laughs) I know, yes. (laughs) But one person I've found out in my professional life, one person can make a huge difference. And Mm. it's just like this podcast. I think it makes a difference. Hmm. Well, thanks. Were you trying to say something? Yeah, I just uh, was going to mention that I think you had mentioned somewhere in some of the literature I read, Eric, that that you had uh, favored moving those port meetings from – uh, during the day, during the week, to evening, so that people can more easily attend them. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I had an op-ed in the Tacoma News Tribune. If you're a subscriber, you can go there. Just search my name, and that transparency opinion piece will come up from 2016. And, you know, public meetings, typically, you know, people are working, you know. Yeah. And so why not have it in the evening like other city council meetings uh, mm-hmm. happen. We're here to engage with the public. And I can tell you that when I was at the Port of Tacoma for four years, I would go to many commission meetings, and I rarely, if ever, saw a public person there. There might be some businesses that something's on the agenda, but mm-hmm. the general public attending, they were not there for four years. I bet. It was interesting. I, I attended some of the meetings uh, during the methanol uh, <laughs> kerfuffle. And um, and I'm a sound guy. And when I went in there, the mics that they have to address the area that people are supposed to be attending meetings, the public may attend meetings, um, their PA system and their mics obviously had not been calibrated so that anyone could hear anything they were saying. I, um, <laughs> it, be, it was obvious to me that they had spent their time having meetings talking to each other and not to the public. Just, I, just by that. I would... Second that, and also the quality of the video. I I told a government um, TV person recently, I said, if elected, I'm going to fix that. (laughs) I mean, we're in the digital age. We ought to have HD. And uh, as Doug just pointed out, the quality of the audio and the video is horrendous by today's standard. Uh, If you want to be transparent and, uh, you know, open to the public, we need the best technology to make that happen. Mm. I kind of want to confine the LNG conversation to after the break, so I'm going to hop around a little bit. Okay, Um, no problem. What do you see as the future of the port? How do we go about attracting businesses that um, people are going to be in favor of? Well, of course, uh, what that people are going to be in favor of is a broad range uh, of of, of topics from that standpoint. um, Perhaps (laughs) more environmentally friendly businesses than the ones that are currently causing so much. Yeah. Kerfuffle. Issue. <laughs> that's a good term. Um, well, certainly, that's part of being strategic. I would say another thing, uh, observation while I was at the Port of Tacoma watching the commission, is a, sh- a bright, shiny object would be dangled in front of them, uh-huh. and they would chase it. You know, yeah. it was a great opportunity. You know, we have a piece of property. Uh, we can uh, lease it to this organization and make some money off it. Let's do it. That, that's not a strategy. Yeah. So we have to be much more deliberate Say, okay, if we're going to be green, what does that mean? I mean, is it, are we only going to do solar, only do uh, wind? Might we be able to do biomass? Mm-hmm. You know, then you have to, you know, pass up on other opportunities that perhaps are bright, shiny objects and would make mm-hmm. money in that, but it's not part of the strategy. Um, I'll give you a great example of this. So when I was at the port, they did a strategic plan. About six, nine months after the strategic plan was done, there's an announcement made that we've completed over 30% of the strategic plan. So uh, that's not a strategy. That was a work plan. Yeah. They were checking off little items. So I think 
really understand what a strategy is as opposed to a work plan is mm -hmm. the type of knowledge and, and skills that I can help bring to the commission that, that hasn't evidently been there in the past based on the experience. And they are, by the way, besides the sub-area agreement that's going on, they have engaged a consultant to do a, a strategic plan. Um, I could comment on that also <laughs> yeah. in that they po postponed doing the strategy until they hire the uh, the CEO to just yeah. be in charge of the port. So John Wolf isn't uh, doing both of those things. Right. And I think there's no need to do that. You know, the, mm. the commission sets the strategy. The chief executive officer executed. Yeah. Uh, he's not the final approval for the strategy. The commission is. So hire somebody that's going to execute what you say. Isn't like he has to be in agreement with it. Uh, from that, he's just supposed he or she is supposed to uh, execute on what we come up with, and that's the type of person you want to hire. I, I mm -hmm. think they put the cart in front of the horse uh, on that. Mm -hmm. Well, um, oh, one more thing before we take a break. Um, I read in some of your literature that you are proposing term limits for port commissioners. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the duration of the terms of the commissioners on the port now. Three of them will have 20 years or more. And I'm not saying these are bad people uh, at all, but um, and I don't necessarily believe in term limits for every elected position, but there's no special qualification. There's no lobbyists who are going to take over control of the port if you have term limits at, at, at the port. And I think mm. uh, who can put this in place are the commissioners. This is a time, a transition, I, I, two, two terms, three terms max, mm -hmm. but there's going to be some change uh, coming. I've talked to at, uh, at least two of the commissioners who are open to that perhaps happen because their terms, you know, they're nearing the end. I think we could get this done and really provide much more opportunity for new leadership, new ideas. You know, there hasn't been a person of color on the commission yet. I mean, uh, Claire Petrich is the first woman that was on the, uh, the, the commission. So mm -hmm. it's time we open up to everybody to be able to compete, whether it's average citizen, uh, a businessman, um, uh, we don't need former retired uh, elected officials who've been traditional saying, well, you know, I can go become port commissioner. They have name recognition and boom, they get elected. And then once you are elected in Pierce County, you have a 95, 98% chance of being uh, reelected. Mm. And so the, uh, you can't say that voters are in charge of this because the voters' uh, uh, record on this is not good. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break for some words from our sponsor, and then we're going to talk about LNG. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 sister show, The Nerd Farmer Podcast. Channel 253 is brought to you by Alaska Airlines. They're my airline of choice. When I need to book a flight, I don't mess with the travel sites anymore. I go straight to Alaska Air and book direct. It's not even a question for me. When I'm on board, the flight attendants are courteous and the service is efficient. That's really important to me. Also, they've got a killer cheese plate. Seriously, get the fruit and cheese plate next time you fly. And they have Northwest Craft beers. I feel like a human when I fly Alaska. I'm a customer, not a commodity. Alaska is such a good airline and has such good service, I forgive them for sponsoring the Timbers, my rival. And if I'm willing to do that, you know Alaska must be good. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP, and I fly Alaska. Okay, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fly to Puerto Rico. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, 
So you have come out in favor of LNG. So we'll just have that out there right away. Um, So maybe talk a little bit about your stance, and then I will follow up with the questions people want to know. Okay. And I I have a two-page paper on this Mm -hmm. uh, explaining uh, my position on it is – one is the if you're talking about health hazards, the number one health hazard in the tide flats today is diesel particulate coming from trucks, but also coming from the ships uh, using bunker fuel. And if you think about bunker fuel and continuum of carbon fuels, you would have coal, then you'd have bunker fuel, then you'd have uh, diesel, then you have uh, gasoline, and then you have natural gas. So. Yeah, natural gas is a carbon fuel, but you're going from the next to the worst to the best carbon fuel we have available. Uh, We need to be able to compete with the world also. Um, There's not a given that we'll have a maritime port in the future. Uh, The real competition is not so much the Panama Canal. It is our Canadian ports, both uh, Vancouver and Prince Rupert, which is, uh, you know, Canada has a national freight strategy. We got squat. Uh, from that time. And they've been investing heavily in buying rail lines, even from uh, down into Chicago, down to New Orleans. I mean, they're setting themselves up to be highly competitive uh, with us. So we need an ACE also. I mean, so LNG, we can make the air cleaner and then give us something uh, that also makes us uh, competitive or an edge from that perspective. Then the other piece is people are concerned about the risks and hazards of LNG itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in this year, I went to the LNG plant and got a briefing by the project manager. As an emergency manager, I'm very concerned with safety. And, you know, found out how are you building it, what are your seismic pieces, because all the land in the tight flats is called liquefaction. Uh, they're right. putting in 1,800 pilings. It's the same type of thing, actually, that they did for... Quest Field, Safeco Field, even the city of Tacoma, or the city of Puyallup, um, uh, City Hall was built on pilings because that's in liquefaction. And the vessel that holds the liquefied natural gas um, is base isolated, so it will rock back and forth. It's not a pressurized container. It's like a big thermos from that Mm. standpoint. And I've also talked to um, people from Department of Homeland Security who I work with all the time who are called protective security uh, agents who work with businesses to make sure that they're prepared uh, for any aspect of whether it's terrorism or disasters, that they're looking at all the threats and ask them about, okay, what do you see as the, the threat from LNG? And you know, I've seen figures as big as that it, that it could explode and kill 200,000 people. Well, at, you know, just no way. I mean, I know the Internet is a wonderful thing, <laughs> but there's also bad information uh, out there also. So I I would never, because safety is my number one thing, before we make money, we need to be safe. Mm-hmm. And I would not sacrifice safety uh, over uh, trying to make money at, at all. So I, I see it as, you know, being a good piece. And the last thing I'll say is for, um, you know, Puget Sound Energy has been painted as the evil empire and owned by a foreign conglomerate, da, 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 da. Well, me, I've worked with, since 1991, the one company that's been there for 26 years, if I think it is, um, always been interested in public-private partnerships and in safety and working 
to make the community in broader, broader region safe. Uh, back in 1991, it was uh, Puget Power, and today that's Puget Sound Energy. So my personal experience is they've done a very good job, and they've been engaged, and they're the only company I can point to that's been continuous and uh, been a partner um, through those 26 years. So, I, And I know a lot of people don't trust them, but that's my personal experience. It actually is comforting to me to hear that someone who is an expert in safety doesn't have any qualms about the construction of the LNG facility. Yeah, they're doing it as safe as they can. I mean, that's, I mean, every, there, you know, a gasoline station has a risk. And yeah. if you want to worry about stuff, there's chlorine and ammonia down in the tide flats. Ammonia is used for cooling. You know, yeah. chlorine is for water purification, other things. Those things are extremely hazardous materials. As far as being a killer, if those are released, that is much more hazardous than the LNG plant. That's uh, already plant. going on. It's already gone, going on. And uh, I would add also that, um, you know, I talked to one of the oil refineries down there about what's the, the, the my concern was we're talking about adding another million people to the central Puget Sound Mm -hmm. uh, in the next 30 years, by 2050. I think, well, shoot, a lot of gasoline. I mean, are we going to need to expand the refineries? And the answer I got there will never not be a refinery built in the United States uh, in the coming years because of gasoline efficiencies, electrification. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, and I would not be seeking additional carbon-based uh, businesses uh, mm -hmm. to locate uh, in the tight flats. I think we can make green technology, green energy uh, a priority and, you know, hammer along. And again, what I talked about before, not chase bright, shiny objects. Hmm. Doug well, I was just had concerned. a point about <clears throat> Tacoma and bright, shiny objects when we were talking <laughs> before this episode. Hmm, I'm not sure if I remember exactly what that was. <laughs> well, you were just saying, like, why aren't they building this in Seattle? Is oh, it because yeah, Tacoma that. was just like, hey, hey, we'll take it, or we have to take anything that is coming to us because we are... Uh... No. How did you say it, Doug? No. You said it much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I, I am curious. Oh, yeah, why not Seattle? Um, well, I, I tell you, the customer that drove this thing was tote shipping. Uh, mm. They are subject to the Jones Act, which means uh, if you're within 200 miles of the coast, and they're they're just going to Alaska, so they're not out. They have to burn a cleaner fuel. There's other technologies, I guess, cleaner bur burning scrubber assistance. But they chose LNG. Puget Sound Energy responded to that, and that's where uh, we are today. And and the other piece of it, I'll hand you for you folks. Imagine in your mind. <laughs> you gave me one. Oh, is, is, the to, is the Jones Act? Is that the federal mandate that people have spoken of? Yeah. That, okay. That's correct. All right. That's correct. And actually, they're talking about trying to have a waiver of that for Puerto Rico right now because of the disasters and the need to get more ships. Uh, and it has to be a U.S. flag carrier um, is, is the other aspect of the Jones Act. Hmm. But, you know, industrial lands are quickly disappearing. Um, when, if you look at a map of the Puget Sound here in Pierce County, all we have is the Tide Flats proper and then Fredrickson. That's mm -hmm. it for zone for light industrial, industrial properties. Um, if you go north, you can look what's happened to Soto, uh, where the stadiums are. That used to be industrial. And, you know, as you go south of there, I was surprised to see the amount of urbanization happening. Um, 
just north of the King County Boeing International uh, Airport uh, there. So it's rapidly disappearing. And we need places for people with blue-collar experience, training in that to work. Not everybody's going to be a software engineer and work for Amazon. Uh, that And uh, we have great opportunities. I, I think one of the other pieces is we've got Clover Park Technical College in Bates. We need to be preparing our workforce, and to include Longshore, for the true 21st century. Where is all this technology headed? And mm-hmm. uh, we need to get our workers ready for that. That's another piece that I would uh, strongly promote and go after as a port commissioner. So going back to the plant as it's proposed presently, it's an 8 million gallon facility. Some people have suggested that that has more to do with export than it does for actually fueling the ships that are in the port itself. And isn't 8 million fairly large if it were to, if something catastrophic were to happen, say the earthquake that you've spoken of at times? Uh, My belief is that that PSE's contention is that any explosive event would be kept on within the confines of the property. Is that is that realistic? I, I can't say to that. I'm I'm not expert, and I don't want to misstate, so I, I can't answer that specific. Would it keep be kept to the property itself? Mm. I, I, is it going to envelop all of downtown Tacoma and Puyallup and blow up and? You know, my grandchildren, everybody's going to die. No. Well, I think the concern would be the <laughs> residents of Northeast Tacoma. Yeah, I, I, you know, again, I won't, I won't comment on. It's one of the things, you know, keep your statements to what you absolutely know. So I, I won't uh, expand beyond that. But uh, the other piece of that, I'm trying to think what you uh, were talking about there for um, – Doug, can you repeat that question? Uh, yeah, 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 Eight million gallons. Eight million gallons. Okay, yeah, oh, no. export, the possibility um, of exporting that. I, I, you can look it up. Um, I'd have to find my notes, but an export facility has to be like 300 million gallons. Hmm. It, it would take a year to fill uh, an LNG tanker with the capacity they have here. It's, it's not an export facility. Hmm. I can tell you, six years ago, I went to the first meeting I can recall on this topic where the Washington Ferry System was interested in converting their diesel-powered ferries, some of them which are 40, mm-hmm. 50 years old, to LNG to have a cleaner burning fuel. And, you know, you think about natural gas. I understand people being against carbon, all carbon. But, you know, the bus fleet that Pierce Transit has, it's, it's great. It's fueled by natural gas. Yeah. So... Where did they get it? Okay, well, the majority of natural gas here in Washington State comes from Canada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I investigated this with uh, natural gas, you know, uh, uh, proponents, whether it's a national natural gas association, that about half of the natural gas we get here now in this region is fracked. So, mm-hmm. yes, yes, it Which is. Which is an ugly... An ugly, ugly procedure. Yeah. I, don't think, and, I don't think that's even arguable, really. Yeah. But, and, uh, you know, I heat my home with natural gas. and uh, But I have, have a heat pump. I've done yeah. that. You know, I've, I got a hybrid car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if, you can't go cold turkey on no carbon. And fossil fuels. It, yeah. Uh, it just uh, it, Eventually, maybe we'll be there. And we, there's no reason not to push that and keep doing it. I, I'm for electrification of the the port's um, fleet of vehicles. I think we ought to make, uh, it's called cold ironing, shore power available at every terminal. So like at Tote, when the ship 
docks there, they plug it in for, to shore power, electric coming from the commercial, and they shut down the engines called cold ironing. We ought to make that available at every terminal hmm. so that ships, when they come, they, they also want to be green. You know, those yeah. shipping uh, lines. So if we make that available, hopefully they'll convert their ships to be able to take that uh, shore power. But that's where we can provide leadership also. So the other question that people have about LNG is in regards to the tribal land agreements. Can you speak to that at all? I, I think I'm a history major. Mm-hmm. Um, and have we... Uh, violated every treaty. I mean, I, I'm talking about what was established until we found gold on their land or maybe oil on their land, but whatever, you know, here's your reservation, but then we find out there's something there we want and then we violated that. I think we have to be respective of uh, tribal uh, treaties. Now, how does that involve this? I know the tribe is now included in sub-area planning, and um, I, I think that's a good deal because they're a major partner. Uh, in everything that goes on here. And certainly that's a broken relationship um, that needs healed and then trust building. And I work a lot on building trust. And you can't shake and bake it and you can't microwave it. Uh, it's You have to become trustworthy first. And I believe there's a couple different ways to do that. One is providing information and expecting nothing in return. And the other thing and is doing joint planning. You get to know people and you establish trust. You don't establish trust between the Port of Tacoma and the Puyallup tribe. You establish trust between individuals representing organizations. They, in turn, bring their organization along. Trust isn't built between organizations. It's built between people who bring their organizations along. Hmm. Um, I want to make sure we fully cover this topic. At what point should... Was there something to be, have been done about this? Um, I think there's a lot of people that are all up, all loud about being in, a, in opposition, but I don't understand when was the appropriate time or when it could have been stopped. Was it just, I, I, do you I, go to the meetings and that's how it's done? I don't I, I, understand. Okay. Or does um, this go back to the transparency issue? I, I, I think that aspect, what are you doing? How are you doing? I, I've been on Twitter for 11 years. <laughs> I almost sense nice. is I was an early adopter uh, from that standpoint. So there are technology tools we can use to not only communicate out, but then also listen. You can mm-hmm. listen on social media. It isn't all just push yeah. where you're telling your story. You can listen uh, using uh, those modern social media tools uh, that we have. to. The time to stop it was in the past. This, this right. project and everything I understand is moving forward. And people said, well, all the permits haven't been given. Well, you know, they're building a retirement home out by me, Wesley Homes in Puyallup. And I remember when the ground clearing permit was given and they started that phase and they didn't have all the permits to build everything before. That's a natural progression of building permits that, mm-hmm. that happens for larger, more complicated projects. I think it's still under review and going through the city of Tacoma process for approving Mm. permits. It just seems like a citizen has no power in opposing something like this. I I would say it's it's this transparency piece, you you know, is um, the port didn't violate anything, Mm. uh, but um, intent and value. I mean, it's the old thing. I, I call the port having 
aspirational values. Transparency, I bet if you look, is there. Integrity is one. Yeah. Um, safety is one. Some of these are aspirational values. <laughs> They're not there yet. And uh, they've had, whether it's 99 years or a, a lot of history of just kind of doing things and nobody paying attention. Mm -hmm. And now they're under the microscope and you're seeing a lot of warts uh, come out. I, I think the good thing to come out of this is the community is alerted, aroused, and interested in what's going on at, at the port. And it's going to create a, a better dialogue uh, going forward if the port doesn't make these types of mistakes. I mean, the methanol plant was that example, but if you go back and look at... Um, there was a rail yard uh, going in down in uh, Thurston County. And there again, the port stubbed its toe. They bought the land for $20 million. They never really engaged with uh, the community there. And friends of Hawks Prairie came up and stopped that project. And that's another $20, $20 million in the hole. Uh, they did take some gravel off that site and mine it that way. But I remember... Uh, the chief engineer at that time saying, hey, the gravel isn't of a quality we can use. And so, mm. I, you know, so there you go. You say, well, hey, we're going to try and use gravel. Sounds good. We're making money off it. Then you also have to say, oh, we found out that, you know, that gravel's not of a quality that is mm. going to meet our needs. you got to tell the other part of the story. Right. And that's where you become real and honest. So outside of the LNG issue, where should there be more civic engagement when it comes to port activity? Well, I think the... Forming the strategic plan going forward, that's going to be the next big piece. Not the sub-area agreement. I mean, that's already engaged and, mm -hmm. and happening. But the strategy for the port going forward. I mean, does the community think, okay, we don't need this. If we could have a kayaker paradise down there and get rid of all the ships. And we don't care about economic development or the <laughs> jobs that come with that that put kids through colleges and, and that. I mean, you know, it's, it's the people that should have a say. And so we have to have a rigorous engagement with the, the public. And I, I think you have to be careful that, you know, the old phrase, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We need to hear from everybody. It's not yeah. just a few, you know, committing time and effort to that, whether it's surveys, engagement one-on-one. -on -one. There's, I, I found there's a lot of anecdotal information you garner from out engaging with the public. I've been doing that part of my campaigning and had some great conversations. But a lot of people are not paying attention, period. Mm -hmm. I've had people ask me, where is the port? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's a level of understanding. Yeah. So, if, if, if the port thinks that it might be doing something that is in its best interest, but it knows is going to get or suspects it's going to get some sort of blowback politically or socially from the public – um, no, I'm going into sort of conspiracy cabal sort of stuff here. Well, but, I, I, but, but, but don't they not, not necessarily want transparency? I mean, if they oh, want sure. no, to. No, I, mean, no. I don't think they were. I, don't, I think they really kind of wanted the methanol plant just to happen with, hey, God, let's just do the, you know, can we just do this thing? Let's just I, do I, it. I, I, that was a mistake based on habit. That, that's how they've operated, and um, they didn't know. That means they're going to take either, they're going to need either the policy, policy or the bravery. To submit, to submit projects that they think might be opposed to the public and reach out to them. And, that's correct. That's correct. And I think the, the, the issue there, it isn't what the port wants. Mm -hmm. It's what the community wants. We're supporting community development and economic development. So it isn't, you know, 
Eric Holderman, port commissioner, saying, well, we got to do this, and therefore uh, we're going to make it uh, happen. I, one of the other things I talk about, the uh, difference between um, authority and responsibility. Um, port commissioners don't have a lot of authority. I mean, mm. the only person they supervise, one person they supervise is the CEO. That's it. Um, yeah. We don't direct what happens in the communities. Uh, WashDOT, the state patrol, uh, the different cities, uh, certainly minority groups. So we have to use, uh, the term I use, I've, I've done this a lot in emergency management, where I don't have authority either, um, is facilitated leadership. We create the dialogue. We have it. We try and bring people along to it. And sometimes they come along and sometimes uh, they don't. But we have to be engaging and not be afraid of what the answer might be that we get. But you do take votes on like leases and those sorts of things, isn't that right? That's correct. I mean, and that's if you go to a hearing. I mean, it's, I was thinking, uh, well, that sounds pretty boring. But that they're approving individual leases one at a time, contracts. If you watch the hearings on television, that's the majority of what's happening there. Um, the other aspect I think, and I've heard this articulated by others, is there certainly are a lot of five O votes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's five commissioners, five O, five O, five O, and um, I know I've heard this articulated that sometimes that's uh, done to show solidarity and all. Well, I, I, if I don't agree with something, no one's going to tell me that I have to vote on support of this if I don't believe it's the right thing to do, and I will not vote for it if I don't think it's the right to thing to do. If to show solidarity, horse pucky. <laughs> Do you think we covered all the necessary topics, Doug? Unless there's something that Eric would like to speak to that we haven't addressed. Yes. Mm -hmm. What should I have asked you about the port? Well, we could talk about the Northwest Seaport Alliance. Please do. Yeah. So, and I can tell you, when I campaigned last time, my big thing was, hey, we're, we're choking one another. We're cutting one another's throat, stealing business back and forth from one another. And the Grand Alliance was the big piece. The Tacoma won while I was there. What well, is a year after the business started that they had a signed contract hmm. because we were giving away the farm. You know, what, how do you get somebody to come? Well, you give them a cut rate yeah. and the port didn't make any money. In fact, might have been losing money right. on that entire deal. So the need to have uh, the Northwest Seaport Alliance was, was true and dramatic and unfortunately didn't happen until right after the election uh, hmm. that um, was there. But now it's in place. But I, I talk about... Uh, you know, engendering trust. You know, the, the commissioners, Port of Tacoma, Port of uh, Seattle, they need to have a relationship that's trustful. And I, I use the phrase, getting married is one thing, being married is a whole new thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we have this alliance, but now how do we make it really function? How do we function as a single team and not, well, you've got Terminal 5 in Seattle, that's your project, we're doing 3 and 4 and call it a day. That's, that's not working as the Northwest Seaport Alliance from that standpoint. Um, and the other thing I'd say, you know, John Wolf, they had this decision point when the, that was created, and John Wolf was selected to be the Northwest Seaport Alliance um, Executive Director, which is fine and good. And he's he's also the Executive Director of the Port of Tacoma. And they made a decision then at that point not to hire a separate CEO. And I, at the time, again, I, I'm not a, a fortune teller. It's a big mistake, huge mistake. 
what is John Wolf, a maritime guy who's been on terminals and ship, where is he going to spend all his time? On this new shiny thing called Northwest Seaport Alliance, third largest container port in the United States, et cetera, et cetera. Is he paying attention, attention to properties, strategic development of land, the methanol plant uh, project that's being proposed? No. I mean, they should have created at, at the commission. If I'd been there, I would have put my foot down and at least made the statement publicly, no, we need to hire the CEO for the port of Tacoma now who's going to do that. And so, for instance, in hiring the new person, we're not hiring a shipping person. We need to hire someone who can really engage with the community and uh, economic development person might be the type. It's not a maritime person. That, that's going to be done by John Wolf, the Northwest Seaport Alliance. So it's going to have a totally different uh, focus. And I think that's a challenge for the port. They've always done maritime focus. We're a port and this land business, industrial development, has been secondary, and they haven't paid attention to it. And the result is the uh, brouhaha we've been going through for the last 18, 24 months. Hmm. Um, okay. Disaster preparation is something I am very passionate about. Great. She's one of my so hobbies. So <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell me about your disaster kit at your house. Well, one of the things I would say is for a long time, um, the message was is you need to be prepared for three days and 72 hours, and that is not valid. It's yeah. valid for some place that has a tornado, uh, a, a snowstorm, something like that. Fortunately, the, the state, and Oregon State did this before Washington State, and now it's local jurisdictions. Most of them are saying be prepared for two weeks. Two weeks. And I, I say uh, there's studies that say 40% of people population have uh, two weeks of, you know, they're prepared for disaster, have a plan, and they're, those nationally are, are three days. I say, <laughs> horse pucky, 40% of emergency managers aren't ready yeah. for a disaster. Uh, people are overrating their level of preparedness. So uh, personally, uh, because I used to tell my wife, look, I'm going to have to say goodbye. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, when I was in King County as a director there, I lived in Puyallup. There's 21 bridges between yeah. um, where I need to be in Renton and uh, in, in Puyallup. And I said, look, I'm going to drive as far as I can. Might not be for I'm going to put the bicycle in the back uh, thing, and then I'll take that as far as I can. But I may be walking the rest of the 35 miles I have to go. And I've, I've walked 25 miles in the Army. I, I can do it. Yeah. It might take me a while to get there. But I said, I'm not going to be home. So you need... To be prepared. So I had a generator. Uh, I've taught my wife how to operate. I have a checklist on the garage wall. We have what's called a Gentran switch. So it's not, we're not plugging extension cords in it. It provides some power throughout the house so she can survive. She knows it has to be outside, knows how to refuel, knows it has to be grounded, and they're not going to asphyxiate herself or my grandkids mm -hmm. or any of that. Um, just uh, last week, I, I've got two five-gallon um, blue cans with water that I rotated. Um, mm -hmm. You need one gallon of water per person per day. Now we're down to two, but the other supply of water, everybody, not everybody has, um, unfortunately, there are tankless water heaters and, uh, now, yeah. but you could have 50 gallons of good, clean water there that even in an earthquake, which I call as a come-as-you-are disaster, you've got some water supply and other water that uh, you stored. And the other thing is, um, you have to be prepared at work, at home, and on the road. So mm -hmm. 
Uh, we don't know when this is going to happen. So both our cars have disaster preparedness kits in them for all inclement <laughs> weather. Uh, and you need a good, I have an old pair of army boots and multiple pairs of socks, waterproof gear, uh, gloves, a uh, hat for a time of year, and then uh, water. You can survive for a long time not eating. That many people have done forever and ever. And, but when they talk the rescues that were going on in Mexico and that people start dying after three, it's water. Yeah. People, even healthy people, will start dying after seven, three days without water. And sometimes there's a rescue story. I, I saw one where um, there's a, clasp, uh, a collapse of a garment factory, and they found a, a girl alive after like 11 days. Well, there was a broken pipe that was dripping. That's how she survived on that. Mm -hmm. So water's uh, huge. And then we've got a trash can, kind of the garbage can that has a tight fitting, fitting, uh, fitting lid on wheels that we can pull out of the garage if we were evacuating uh, the house. And that's what we have some blankets, other food in from that standpoint. And, you know, I, I'm not a big I, – I make oatmeal and cream of wheat and breakfast and that. But my wife still – we have a pantry. Yeah. Uh, Versus, I think you go in Seattle, other urban areas, uh, millennia, it, it, they're going out to eat every meal. And yeah. if you open the refrigerator, there's a jar of pickles. Right. So people don't have the wherewithal to be able to uh, do it. I, if you go to the Seattle Times and um, I had op-ed there earlier this year, I want to say in June, about how there's going to be a spontaneous evacuation of metropolitan areas also because if you can't get food in, water in, people are going to have to leave. And they, somebody said, well, uh, where are they going to drive to? I said, oh, no, no, they're not driving. They're going to walk out. Yeah. If you got a wheelbarrow, put grandma in the wheelbarrow, and you're going to walk out. This is the Syrian uh, refugees walking through your, That's what's going to have to happen. Then we'll have collection points and take people places. But the fastest you can rebuild a single bridge is six months. That's what um, California did with a verbal order to start tearing down that bridge tomorrow. They did that in Northridge earthquake six months for a simple bridge, not the Ship Canal Bridge or more complicated. So we're, we're going to look a lot like Puerto Rico, which is a catastrophic event going on right now. Hmm. So I, I think I covered preparedness, but <laughs> communications, <laughs> no, you know, after that. water, the, big, the biggest thing you need is information. Yeah. Uh, so you know what to do. So, uh, Hand crank, battery operated, um, FM, AM radio. You, that's how you're going to get information, know what's going on and what, you know, yeah. uh, is, is help coming. It, it will take, and we have, we can keep talking about this, the Cascadia <laughs> Rising simulating a big uh, subduction earthquake. Uh, the Navy said, hey, it's going to take us eight days to get here, steam up from San Diego. Uh, the Army, 82nd Airborne, and I was Army, I was an infantry officer. They're saying it's going to take us eight days to really have troops on the ground wow. because uh, it's logistics. Yeah. Logistics is everything. That's, again, Puerto Rico. That's a big deal. Tacoma Port Commission candidate, Mr. Irwin <laughs> Allen, ladies and gentlemen. Do you remember Irwin Allen? No, oh, what are you God, talking that about? Joke just died. <laughs> he, produ <laughs> Sorry. He, he produced the the, the the towering inferno and the and the and the and the Poseidon adventure. 
Oh. oh. Oh, well, there you go. All right. I'll cut mm. that from no. the All right. No, well, don't thank cut you. It. Yeah. I was going to say one thing about information that um, one of the pieces of my car disaster kit that I'm proud of is that my husband and I are frequently up in Seattle or Redmond working, um, Microsoft mainly. And um, I have printed out walking directions from there to here. Okay. Great. Of course, now you're making me really worried about bridges. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, you, <laughs> but there's I, a lot of places. I mean, it's a river. Yeah. That's the issue. But I'm sure that I'm not going to be able to drive if it happens while I'm at no, work. I, can I you swim? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I can swim, but I have all my disaster supplies so. in my backpack, so I'm going to need a different backpack. You tie balloons to them or something. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can people find you on the Internet? Everywhere. Uh, the best thing to do is Google my name, okay. and if, whether you're interested in disaster materials, uh, I have the number one blog in emergency management in the United States at disaster-zone.com if you're into disasters. If you want to see um, my election webpage, it's at www, that's three there, Holdeman, H-O-L-D-E-M-A-N-4, and that's F-O-R, Port, P-O-R-T dot com, holdemanfortport.com. There's a one-minute video there, and you can see me when I was younger, thinner, and I had hair. Uh, but <laughs> what about Twitter? Where, what's your handle? Um, it is uh, Eric underscore Holdeman. And uh, I have election Facebook page. It's, I think, elect Eric Holdeman uh, there, which I've been putting articles uh, up on. And uh, it, my personal... Uh, website is uh, Eric Holdeman, and there's it's no R in Holderman, so <laughs> no you. R in Holdeman, ericholdeman.com. And everything I've ever written uh, or published or did a media interview, I try and put on that website. So my life's an open book. And I also <laughs> host a TV show on King County uh, Television called Disaster Zone, the name of my blog, and we try and do one show a month on a variety of topics and on my website um, – they give me a um, um, a YouTube link, and so there's programs. It's a half-hour talk show. I really Excellent. thought that Irwin Allen joke would work. I really, <laughs> really did. We both looked at you like, his name's Eric Holdeman. Yeah, there's, there is Irwin. There's, a, there's an Irwin Redlinger who's a Ph.D. doctor often a Quoted on disaster things, he's back east. I said it earlier. I missed it by one name. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for hosting and thanks for your community service to educate people about the candidates and functions of the port. So, thank you for what you do. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find the Move to Tacoma podcast as well as the Nerd Farmer podcast. And the Flounders B-Team podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.